Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29, a Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis. We are recording on a Monday evening in advance of the Hawks game two against Miami Tuesday night. Uh, we got to see some of Miami in game one, and I guess maybe I'll start with what do you think of Marcus Smart being named Defensive Player of the Year? I, I think he's a deserving winner. Um, you know, I, I thought Bam deserved some more credit than he got. I thought Jared Allen was awesome all year long. So I would have I had a hard time getting the finalists down to just three. I think there were like about five that were on the same level. But um, I saw some commentary out in the sphere that uh, how do you value a guard, um, you know, the same defensively as you do a big man. And I think there's – on some levels, there's a little bit of truth to that, but I, don't, I feel like people who are making that point don't realize how many times in their switch-based scheme, Marcus Smart actually takes on the big man. And, For sure. uh, you, know, uh, you know, so I feel like his versatility, um, really, his ability to kind of take the other team's best perimeter player or switch and kind of handle all five positions was pretty instrumental in the Celtics' uh, surge the second half of the season, so... You know, I felt like he deserved it. I don't. I don't enjoy all the aesthetics of Marcus Smart's game all the time. <laughs> um, we, we saw some similar uh, kind of aesthetics, I think, in Game One between my, the Heat and the Hawks. Maybe we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Um, but, but I mean, I, I don't think for me that doesn't detract from all of the you know good performance, good production, and, and the value he has to his team just because he does some stuff that impacts my uh my uh viewing quality now and then <laughs> your right. thoughts do you, do you think you, you think that was a, a good a, a fair outcome for the award this year yeah it's fine but i don't want to say anything too nice <laughs> all right <laughs> I, I i i spoke on behalf of the podcast for that one i suppose <laughs> uh okay game one uh i mean i am i crazy in thinking that miami played that the exact right way on, on on a strategic level, but just on a on the level of hey, if you have an opponent on short rest, here's here's the recipe for what to do. Yeah, I mean, I I, I was a little um, unsure if Spo would hold a little bit of his best plan back, and I mean, just, <laughs> I mean, you know, right. Uh, I'm a, I'm a layman when it comes to NBA coaching, of course, you know, so maybe he has something a wrinkle that he's holding back, you know, for just the right time. Who knows, but that it's, it certainly seemed like the perfect way to defend Trey. Um, you know, they uh, loaded up up high and uh, basically just didn't give Trey any path. Their switches were uh, on point. Uh, there was no opportunity for him to kind of get in between, you know, switching defenders or, or anything like that. So, you know, that, that now the proverbial, you know, adjustment to be made is Nate and staff and the Hawks coming back with some way to attack that after having seen that. There's no doubt in my mind that the Hawks probably would have, um, that the Hawks would have made more progress uh, kind of trying to get at that defensive scheme if they weren't so tired. Um, you know, I, this is what, is this year, this is year three to play in? Is that right? Feels like that's I right. I think so. I still, I think we're still learning a lot about, teams that have to 
play twice to get in, kind of what the actual deficit they carry into round one is. And that's always going to be the eight seed, right? Um, and so and it's that's a little fair. hard. I mean, they they should have a deficit, like sure. The, yeah, the, the one seed should have the advantages. They should have home court advantage. They should have rest advantage. It it makes sense. Like it's good. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm not complaining about. It. I'm just saying. In terms of me kind of shaping my expectations kind of appropriately, we're going to get sure. a few years of history here, kind of see what that's like. And then, you know, I mean, Hawks fans were kind of complaining about, you know, playing on Sundays. Like, well, all the all the series were a kickoff on Saturday or Sunday, so it had to right. be Sunday. Uh, and, you could, I mean, if someone wants to argue that they could have played the third game, you know, instead of the <laughs> first game, the, the two eight seeds could have played, you know, the third slot, the fourth slot. Um, you know, I'm I guess I'm kind of glad looking back the Hawks played early and just got it over with if they got out even just get off their feet a few more hours, yep, you know, earlier than otherwise. I'm gonna kind of take that as a positive going into the game too. But um, I mean the Hawks just look tired. I think this is a game apart from looking at what was going on kind of from a scheme perspective and such, kind of throw it out because the Hawks just didn't really have much to work with energy-wise. And it looked to me like it was physical and mental. Um, and we've seen the Hawks uh, over the last few seasons kind of claw their way back kind of into games, even after being down big, Um, and that just wasn't happening this time. A trade never came back in after he sat uh, in the third quarter, and hopefully that helps him a little bit. But, I mean, Miami was really, really good. I mean, they were really disciplined. They were really organized on defense, and – and I'm curious to see in game two kind of what what this, uh, uh, you know, adjustment is on the Hawks side to try to make something more <laughs> than they did in game one from that defensive approach to Miami too. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think one of the first things that will typically shrivel when you've got tired legs, and I thought this was the case for the Hawks, some is just the the level of energy and the level of precision for the off ball movement in that switching scheme just seemed kind of flat, and that just seems like always one of the first things to go because you know there's the more obvious times to unload some energy on transition defense, and you know when you're guarding the ball or uh, if you have the ball, and it just seems like that's that's kind of a natural place to kind of sag a little bit when your legs are tired and, and, you know, the combination of Miami being physical, the scheme they were playing, the fact that, you know, it was really going to be difficult for Trey to do stuff. It was, you know, with, with, with the lack of, of coordinated off ball stuff to help Trey out, you know, it, it, it just made the offense wither they got a little bit of stuff out of, you know, Gallo punishing the switch, but it was never, it never felt like the, a coordinated orchestra, so to speak. Like it was always just uh, a little more haphazard than that. And, uh, you know, what, what should it look like in game two in in terms of off ball movement, if they're going to be switching, if they're going to be shading extra bodies towards trade to take away you know, the, the types of driving lanes that he might want in that kind of scheme. Yeah, so a couple of things. One is, um, like, clearly in the first quarter, the Hawks were happy to let Trey draw out Struess or even even Bam is as is, is inadvisable as that may seem kind of kind of <laughs> looking back, you know, right? Um, or, or whoever, you know. 
um, and attack one-on-one. And typically, I think what you're looking for there is not, hopefully, not just the one-on-one attack, but trying to get past the defender, break down the defense, collapse the defense, and use that as the way to either get him to the rim, get him to the foul line, or after collapsing the defense, kind of creating those three-point shots, you know, with, with four defenders collapse in the paint, if not if not five in some cases. And Trey, I don't remember a play where he got past this man really one time. Um, the one exception that maybe is was a play started in the right corner, and this may have been after an offensive rebound, and it was the one that ended up – he ended up driving past Robinson sort of on that right baseline and did a dump-off pass to, to Kongwu for the dunk, right? And he, so um, up high, he had no lanes. The one or two times he got more like closer to the baseline and was attacking from the side, um, that he had a little bit more room to work with. And I, I put a, a video out on Twitter of um, in, the, in the second half, the Hawks were going to what they call their stack series, which means like, if you think about Trey has the ball, they're going to play through someone else, say Herder, Herder gets a screen in the middle of the paint from a big man, kind of a pin, a down screen, and Herder jumps up to either the right three-point break or the left three-point break. And they run the pick and roll from there with typically the two or the three, right? And I, that, and I, I call that slot pick and roll. And what that did was it uh, created passing lanes to both corners, depending upon how the two defenders on the backside of the play covered any sort of threat toward the rim or what have you there. And there was a few times when they'd move the ball to that corner, the person in the corner would get a, a clear one-on-one um, attack on a, a defender that's closing out. And that was some of the more favorable opportunities that they had. I mean, they just didn't make shots the whole game at all. And that was, makes it a little hard to kind of judge results. But I, I think Trey centered up high in the pick and roll especially if you're never going to go to like um, staggered or double drag that produced nothing on Sunday. And I, I'm curious if they'll try to kind of start with that again in game two or go completely to something else. In my mind, what you attack is those, you get three defenders up high, two defenders back, and those two defenders have to cover the baseline all the way to one side, all the way to the other side. And when, when Hunter caught the ball in the left corner, the play I'm thinking of, and drove to the rim, he got past this guy. Well, the defender on the opposite baseline had to come all the way across the rim to protect the rim from him. Gallo was in the weak side corner all by himself. That Hunter made a bank shot there, kind of in the face of the of the P.J. Tucker, who had come off of Gallo. But if you can get those back two guys having to move and cover a lot of space, that, to me, versus that scheme is going to be what's going to open that up the most as opposed to kind of go right at those three guys that are right up towards the top of the key sitting in front of um, your ball handler in the middle. Um, so what I'm watching for is can they get those two defenders in the back moving and can that create space for cutters? Can that create an opportunity to drive at a defender who might be late cutting from the weak side corner all the way to the rim? If he gets there, can you kick out to the weak side corner for a wide open three, make those back two defenders have to really, really start moving. That's what I would look, to make happen, if that makes sense. What, what did you think about the defensive side of the ball, especially sort of defending sort of the bam handoff kind of game? I, I mean, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I, I thought uh, they made a lot of contested threes. I think I thought Miami shot kind of over their baseline. 
uh, from the three point line, um, you know, and but I, I mean, I, it was like a a B or B minus performance, I guess. So I was kind of grading it, um, it depending on if you use a curve for their energy and their kind of rest factor again or not. But I, I thought they were, you know, pretty well connected on defense for the most part. They had some errors, they had some mental mistakes that I thought probably was mental fatigue uh, mostly and things like that. And, and it's just, you know, coming out of a playing environment into, you know, playing against the one seed, just a whole different kind of pressure feeling around the game, I think, as the underdog. Um, but overall, I thought it was okay, you know, to, to decent. Um, you know, it, it, when, where they struggled sometimes was, um, you know, we saw a lot of times where Gallo was isolated onto Jimmy. Like, you know, there's a player member on the right baseline where Jimmy just kind of went past him and the heat were using screen flare screen action up high to occupy two defenders. So the Hawks couldn't double from the top and it just occupying those guys. So the heat were doing a lot of stuff to create that isolation. Uh, and if the Hawks doubled or shaded or stunted or whatever, you know, they had a guy, you know, freeing up with a flare screen uh, kind of up high. And, and I don't, it'll be interesting to see if the Hawks, leave Gallo one-on-one in those situations in game two or bring a double baseline side like they get, did against the Knicks last year, um, you know, or or find a way to bring help from the top and still cover the shooters up high, you know, bringing more help from, from the weak side. So, I, I mean, I thought it was – I didn't think the defense was kind of problematic. I, I, and I think that if they – in a normal game, number two ranked offense in the league, if they're making more shots, they get to set their defense more. Um, and so, you know, it's one of those things where offensive struggles feed into defensive struggles because you don't get to set your defense. You're playing from behind. There's a lot of pressure. And so I'm guessing if they would have been better on offense, they would have been even a little bit better on defense. So um, long answer, but okay. Um, too many mistakes, but, I, I, you know, I think a lot of that can be chalked up to mental fatigue. How did you think Okongwe did? For for I think what what they expected and the way they they set it up, I thought you know he kind of executed his role. I, I thought he was fine. I didn't see anything of any grave concern there. I don't know, I, especially on the defensive end. I have to think back and I can't remember trying to watch for for what he looked like on the offensive end, but defensively, I thought he was fine. Yeah, I thought offensively, just never got any opportunities. The the Heat were not having any lobs. I mean, I, <laughs> the only lob the Hawks hit was that one in transition to Kevin from trade to Kevin. You know, well, they they um, tried what, one to John, and that's actually where I was going to go next. Was oh, there you go. Yeah, think about how how John Collins looked in his first game back. Oh, I was I was surprised at, at how well he played. I you know I, I thought maybe in the second half after he kind of gets a little bit of feel and rhythm in the first half, but you know. I thought their best defensive stretches were when he was at center. Um, and he's more experienced than the Kongu. And his communication was good. It, you know, he was on it. But, I, you know, I thought here's a guy who hasn't played in a while. Um, would even on the defensive end need a little bit of kind of rhythm, as especially playing at the five, not the four. You're, you're organizing and all that stuff back there. So, I, you know, if he plays that well the whole series – and, and we get normal Trey and we get normal support from Bogey, you know, and, and Kevin, um, then yeah, I, I mean, having him play that, even if he plays exactly the same level the whole series, I think that's going to be a positive for the Hawks. What did you see? Yeah. I, 
I, I thought he looked fine. The, the one time that it stood out a little bit, I thought was on that lob. I don't know that he's got the same vertical explosion that he would normally have for, for that type of play, but I thought he held up defensively. I thought he, I, th- I don't think that that role is going to change anytime soon. Like no matter how well he plays, no matter how well or poorly anybody plays, I think their best mix is going to be to start Gallo and a Kong Wu and have John coming off the bench just because they don't have Capella. I think that's, that's a balance that they're going to stay with, but I don't know. Do you, do you think that they would change that if Capella doesn't come back, you know, with that threesome, how, how they deploy it? Well, I mean, it depends upon if he actually has a minutes restriction. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I right. think we heard, I think we heard ahead of the game that like something in the 15 to 20 minute range, I don't remember how many minutes he played. We played more than that. Um, and even, <laughs> excuse me, I'm still fighting a cough here. Um, even after the game was kind of, you know, resolved, um, you know, Nate left him out there for a while. And Nate talks all the time about using the game to help guys kind of get their game conditioning back. And, you know, it's probably a little bit of it. But, I mean, it, to me, it depends on, like, can he play 30 minutes or can he only play, you know, 19, 20 you know, if it's a lower end, just treating him like he's the backup center makes more sense to me. Um, if he works, you know, towards, you know, a higher workload, then I guess you could start him at the four and then pull him off kind of early and get Gallo in there. But, um, you know, to me, the Trey, Kevin, um, Hunter, Gallo, and then the, your starting center has, you know, has kind of a continuity that I might not mess with. Right. Um, because they close the season pretty strong, you know, and um, mm-hmm. and then you can always mix and match on the second half, depending upon who's you know playing well together and who's you know defending well and who's making shots, who's not making shots, and things like that. But I, I guess I'd be surprised in this series, um, you know, if, if the Hawks manage to win this series and get past there, I think it opens back up. But I guess I'd be surprised to see anything differently than we saw in game one this series. Yeah, I, I I guess I could see Collins starting like like you said with the if if the minutes restriction changed, but I I think they may need a little more like especially for this matchup. I, I think Gallo's a good fit. The one the one caveat is that they're they're really working Gallinari on the minutes end a lot in yeah. those two playing games even really down the stretch, like I don't know that that's really the long-term plan for him to play 41 minutes or whatever it was like he did in the Cleveland game. Like that's not really probably sustainable if they're playing every other day. So that, that may be something where they, you know, if you, if you factor in the defensive bonus from playing Collins as a starter and you really just feel like you need less Gallinari because you're not going to have him if you keep, beating him up and then I guess I guess I could see it but I I do think like you said I think they like the chemistry of that unit and they might not want to mess with that yeah and if, and if they're going to win games and push this series it's going to be putting up 115 117 120 points you know three games or, or whatever you know mm-hmm. and um yeah you know, I, I I just wouldn't put a lot of pressure on John as a shooter um you know to 
uh, generate a lot of volume and as a scorer and, and Gallo can give you like all the volume shooting that you need, you know, from the perimeter. So I, I think in terms of kind of the blueprint that gets the Hawks competitive in this series, starting Gallo makes sense, especially considering um, the fact that, you know, John's played one game in what a month and a half now or whatever it's been. Fair enough. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, we're not going to talk about Kyle Lowry uh, being a hazard. <laughs> Oh, that. Um, yeah, whoever's running the, the, the Bally's Hawks Twitter account had a couple of really good uh, clips. So some, I would I'll call it a couple <laughs> couple of dangerous plays, you know. I, I mean, I have to admit, I'm overall, I, I mean, I've always enjoyed Kyle Lowry over the years. He's a smart player, a good team player. Uh, but it's kind of like a little bit of the Marcus Smart parallel here where it's like there's a lot to appreciate about his game. But it's like, man, he's always – seems like he's always kind of you know has a handful of plays a game where he's doing something unnecessary and creating an injury injury risk so um you know he, there i mean nothing got called there were no technicals no flagrants e- even no fouls on on the tough plays so it was interesting tonight to watch raptor sixers after nick nurse made some comments about how uh game one went in that series which i thought his comments were you know quite justified I don't think it's really a Nate style. In fact, you know, Nate's going to turn the focus back on his team. Like it's on us to execute. We've got to do our job. We've got to, you know, and Nate doesn't, Nate talks a lot about them, not him, not wanting his team to get distracted by the officials. But I think this this being a safe space, I could say those specifically those two plays by Kyle were, um, you know, uncalled for, unnecessary, created undue risk to Trey. And I don't think it's an accident at all that, it was Trey both times. Um, teams want yeah, to be I mean, physical actually, Trey. The, 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 things, the things that actually, I don't know. Like, I thought, like, the one the one to, to Trey's face was bad from Lowry. But, like, I, the dive was, like, one of those things that's always going to be borderline because you say you're going for the ball. Fine, so throw that out the window. But, like. Yeah, but it was a dead ball. But, I, I, Butler. I, I feel like. Yeah. He, I, it was a dead ball. I mean, and you're going to have he, to factor he, he, in human reaction time, though, too. So, like, you you do, you, you do, but it's Kyle Lowry, so you know, he doesn't get the doubt for me anyway. The whole everybody else might okay. say, Glenn, you're 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 not being fair, but he's Kyle Lowry. You know, Chris Paul would not get the benefit of the doubt for me. Marcus Smart wouldn't get the benefit of the doubt for me. I don't want to go through my whole list, but Kyle Lowry's on the list, and he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt for me. So. I just hope the officials can kind of uh, be fair uh, to the Hawks in that sense and not have Trey exposed to things that he shouldn't be exposed to. So uh, I don't want to make a, this whole series about that. That's no fun. But uh, I think it's, I think it would be, um, I think, I, I think it's important to just state that happened in game one, let's try to move on. Hope it's clean from the rest of the way, you know? So I was having a conversation with a certain person kind of attached to the Hawks team yesterday and I said you know it's something when PJ Tucker is on the other team and he's among the most well behaved <laughs> well that's the thing you is know? I thought I thought Butler's was worse like Trey took that charge foul and he took it very like he took it in a very legitimate manner like he got in front of Butler and it was a foul on Trey but yeah. there was there was nothing to that foul that anybody could object to and mm-hmm. then Butler just like put a forearm across the top of his like neck shoulder and it's like yo that that was something and that was really one of the first plays i think this this was way before the lowry stuff and 
Sure. And and that was like, ooh, that and but the thing about Lowry that bothers me that that's more systemic because it helps them maintain their scheme is like when when Collins would get a switch on Lowry and it's like Collins is in the paint by himself. There's pretty good spacing. It's just John and Lowry down there. Lowry's got like 280 pounds and he's just throwing it at like his knees and his thighs. And it's like he's just doing two hand shoves. And it's like that's that's helping them hold up their game plan. And it's patently illegal like that. That actually bothers me a little bit more because that's pinning up their whole strategy as opposed to just like, I, I think that the heat are eventually going to have to tone like the, the antics part of things down. But that, you know, that, that actually matters to me a little bit more because it's like, you know, you want to play this switching scheme, but that's one of the things that helps them hold it up. You know, John's usually, and you know, who knows what it, what it would be like in this state, but John is normally uh, an excellent switch punisher for right. that reason. And, you know, Lowry's a, a good switch defender. I just think like the the sliding scale on what's legal and what's not when the guards trying to maintain some semblance of defense on that switch in the post, like they're just letting him get away with anything. And it's you know the ones where he's like throwing ass into knees that like that's actually like not just illegal but also kind of dangerous too. Yeah. Like yeah, he gets down really low on the big guys and, and starts putting some weight down there. Yeah. Yeah. And he had another one. He had um, kind of an arm bar on DeAndre on a rebound situation. It reminded me of how Olenek hurt Kevin Love a few years ago. Um, so, you know, for me, it's like I, I, yeah, I agree with you that the systemic and ongoing stuff that really hurts the Hawks is when they let him get away with a lot of stuff that allows him to um, uh, manage any exposure he'd have on a size mismatch down there, you know. But on a, on a different level, if, in terms of my expectation of a human being playing basketball, it's like don't put players on the other team at injury risk <laughs> by doing things that are unnecessary. You know, the, like, the hands of the face under the rim was like he went way out of his way to put his hands in Trey's face right. as best from what I saw. You know, I, I don't want to you know say I know what his intent was or whatever. And then getting on the floor, I mean, they blew the whistle. You know, the play was stopped. Everybody was stopped except Kyle, Ford's, Kyle Lowry is the only one not stopped. You know, so I judge it by that all the other nine players stop, you know, and if, if the answer is yes, then Kyle, what are you doing diving on the tray? You know, so, you know, I just, um, I, I hope that it gets cleaner uh, kind of going forward. It's the playoffs, so that doesn't always happen. Uh, I want to be clear that I don't want to make, turn this series into kind of a, a constant observation of like, you know, the questionable, you know, plays. A lot of stuff is allowed to go in the playoffs. That's sure. normal. We all know that. Um, but I, I'd like to see the teams have an honest um, competition where that stuff isn't um, kind of part of the story. And I thought it was a little at risk of being a little too much um, part of the story in game one. And I guess I'll kind of leave it there, but that's, that's Kyle. You know, they have Kyle Lowry, they have Jimmy Butler, they have PJ Tucker. Um, You know, you you get, you get a certain amount of that stuff, you know, with, with those guys. Right. And I think that, you know, almost like what you were saying at the outset about game plan. It's like, I feel like maybe they invested a little too much in game one. Like, I think the referees will be a little more keenly aware in game two after what happened in game one. There's probably like a tape or something headed to the league office and and the referees will be aware of some of that stuff going into game two. And it's like, 
you were going to kick the Hawks. <laughs> like, regardless, like you, you probably could have like held back some of your game plan, held back on some of the antics, but they, they unloaded, they made sure that they were going to take care of business in game one and they did it. They, they did. Yeah. And, you know, and we'll see. I mean, I, I, you know, when I watched Sixers Raptors tonight, it, it, the, the officiating was worse in my view, you know, <laughs> I think I think Embiid had like 13 free throw attempts in the first quarter, you know, alone. Um, I mean, you couldn't you couldn't touch him, and you know, he got an accidental hand to the face from someone. They called a foul. He was running around with flailing arms, you know, hitting Raptors in the face the whole game, and never got called. So, I mean, Nick Nurse made comments after the game again tonight, and and again, as a coach, I think you have to be careful to not let that become the primary focus of your team. And Nate's right. good at that. You know, Nate's really good at not making that bigger than it needs to be. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm sort of a, my wife would tell you that I'm a Libra and I believe in fairness. Someone could say to me, Glenn, life's not fair. I'm like, well, it should be is my response, <laughs> you know, or we could, we could all contribute to as much fairness as possible. I wish the same interpretation of the regular season was just carried right over. And it looks like the league is actually maybe trying to do that because if you look at fouls per game, it's way up so far in the first round over the last number of years. Um, now it's like 90% of it is, you know, Giannis going to the free throw line and be going to the free throw line and such. So, you know, we'll kind of see if that's actually shaking out, but I would love that. But I mean, yeah, if Kyle is you know down there like you know throwing his hips and rear end and knees and elbow into knees against you know a Kongwu and Capella down there, call that stuff, you know. If uh, Kyle's flying across the lane and getting putting hands in Trey's face uh, on a rebound situation, then call that stuff. If if Kyle's you know diving on the floor when everybody literally everybody else has stopped and putting someone at risk, then at least giving giving a warning or something like that. But they just they let all that stuff slide so. You know, I know some fans on Hawks fans on Twitter will say, well, the Hawks need to stand up for themselves, you know. Um, and there's probably some version of truth in that to, you know, be physical back, you know, bring them an equal amount of physicality and things like that. Um, someone sometimes saying something, you know, like, you know, I know some fan, I, I'm just kind of being the voice of the fan here. Like, I think some Hawks fans would love to see, you know, someone – like last year, it might have been Solomon Hill to step up. Like, like there was a game last year. We're going it was, it was, yeah, but right. it was also Clint last year. Like, Clint was like, okay, this is getting kind of ridiculous. Right. And right. he said as much. He's like, you know, he he went like, he went scorched earth and, and just said, you know, if you're going to do that, you know, you better back it up or we're going to beat you. And then he, right. he did it. He did the darn thing. You know, that was, it was essentially the Knicks big guys that were you know trying to throw their weight around it and Clint threw it back in the last few games he like said I'm gonna do this and he did it and they don't they don't have that this year they don't and and on top of that they they knew they were better than the Knicks last year right even against Philly they knew they had an opportunity if they played if they they stuck with their plan they had an opportunity to win that series this is different they know they were better than the Knicks they were the five seed everybody said that the Knicks were gonna win yeah, I think they knew they were better than the Knicks. I think they okay. knew the Knicks. I think they knew offensively the Knicks just after game one. I think they knew. I, I I suspect that they they felt that way before game one and knew after game okay. one. We'll put it that way. But and this is different. I mean, this is you know you're going against the number one seed, the Miami, a team that executes at a really high level on both ends of the court all the time. And and it, I think it takes a different kind of 
you know, courage um, kind of calculation as an eight seed, you know, I, I think a lot of Hawks fans might think back to that Hawks Boston series when, you know, um, you know, uh, the one where Marcus Smart bounced into no, a no. body and wait, fell wait, wait, six wait, feet back Gar- out of bounds. No, no, the Garnett Celtics. <laughs> oh, well, that's too bad. I thought we were coming full circle. Now, no, I'm like the, the, the Zaza and yeah, Al you. and, you know, all you. of that. And that was eight versus one. And, yeah. you know, they pushed, they took the game seven, series seven games. And a lot of it was their big men kind of stepping up and being assertive in that way um and it's, it, you know it's like is it fair to expect a lot of that of john first his, that was his first game back in a while he has his hands right. full with just kind of playing up to his own standard at, at sure. all the congo was the second year you really young you know so who's going to be that guy you know um and it, it feels like it's going to be needed for them to have a chance at a really competitive series so for me it's I, you know i don't want to you go in expecting too much you know, on Tuesday night around that, but it's something to watch. It's something I think is important. Um, Again, I wouldn't want to see them go overboard and turn this into the palace or, you know, a fight or anything like that, but just kind of, you know, I'm sorry, but if Kyle smacks Trey in the face again, you know, I I don't think it'd be inappropriate for someone to step up into Kyle's face and tell him to cut it out. You know, that didn't happen in game one. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not, I'm not, not all, I'm not about kind of escalating, you know, this, you know, uh, unnecessarily you know kind of a uh, physical confrontation but you know, speak up you know somebody say something you know, i think it is appropriate who is that person you know i i the, the obvious answer there's no obvious answer for, for me right now you know i mean like gallo gallo is as sweet as they come right and kevin's young and you know you know maybe i guess i could maybe see bogey you know saying something you know i mean gallo's but, not above a hard foul no, not at all. Not at all. Even a retaliatory um, hard foul, like he will, he will, he will inflict pain when he, he gives fouls. Sometimes he will. Yeah. Um, you know, do you do you use, kind of get Gorgie on the floor for uh, you know a moment where he can kind of you know I mean you know I I, I don't know I, I don't want to put it on one guy. I think I, in my mind as a team they need to figure that out. Right. You can't let Trey get treated like that without someone you know, kind of standing up for him. And like I said, maybe it was, maybe I regret a little bit kind of getting into like, who is it? Let's talk it through. It's just a conversation. But for me, you know, where I'm landing is the team has to figure that out, you know, in order for them to stand up for themselves, be assertive and kind of push back and don't need to do some of that in my mind for them to see a competitive series. So one more thing to keep an eye on, but uh, I mean, but like 90% of it is Trey getting to the Trey level, you know, (laughs) Trey bringing what he always brings and everything else offensively kind of flowing from there and, and, you know, getting a little better on defense every game in the series. This stuff is, you know, important for, I think, kind of um, feeling solid as a team, feeling connected as a team, feeling like you have each other's backs, all that sort of stuff. But most of it's going to come down to execution, good decision-making, playing together. Um, But that stuff, you know, if this becomes a, you know, something closer to at some point, like a 50, 50 series, uh, then that stuff, will matter you know, that stuff in those in the, like that on the margins will matter and uh might as well bring a little bit of that game too 
All right. Well, you you go watch all of the Philadelphia Toronto series for me because I have no <laughs> interest in that series. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be frustrating. I know Philadelphia is going to be the team to advance. So right. I'm going to like read a book or something. I don't, I, yeah. I'm good with that one. Yeah. Well, I mean, Toronto is interesting as a concept. You know, you for and sure. I've talked about this, but the, so I, I I like watching that. But but I you know. Kevin, like I think it was two months ago when we the very first time we talked about the playoffs, I like I was like I want to see Miami and Philly. You know, now I'd love for the Hawks to win this series, but you know if it turns out that the statistically probable thing happens and they don't, I can't wait for Miami and Philly. I can't wait. So you know, um, no matter how this Hawks Heat series goes, there's something really delicious for me in, in round two. So I'll, I'll just. I'll just leave it at that. You're right. Uh, Philly's going to win that series, but I, I can't take my eyes off Toronto as a concept uh, right now. So there you go. All right. Have a good night, Glenn. Thanks, Kevin. You too.